Welcome to the Cup of Nurses podcast. What's up, guys? Welcome to Cup of Nurses podcast. We are your hosts, Matt Sartrick, and myself, Peter Fendera. This is our podcast where we tackle current news events and nursing topics one conversation at a time. Welcome, guys. Thank you for listening. Who does? Who watches on YouTube? Thank you. Subscribe, comment, give us some feedback. Um, check out our Facebook group, which is growing by the numbers. Well, we talk by about, the millions. By the millions, eventually. We talk about different things, nursing um, topics, share some memes, some funny stories. So check out that out. And then also a checklist is out for anyone that's seeking some travel guide guidance. So check that out. We'll provide the link in the episode. Yeah, if you guys are having any trouble downloading it, just send us an email or a, or a message on Instagram or, or anywhere really on Facebook and we'll forward to you. We have been having some issues lately with it, but for the most part, it's pretty good. Yeah. So it's episode 16, right? 16. Episode 17, 17. Guys. Oh my God. Yeah. Time, time's flying. Yeah. So today we're going to talk about the mind-body connection, how our immune system and how our brain is literally interconnected. And then we're also going to talk about some law that's recently coming out, signed by the Trump administration, that's requiring pharmaceutical companies to include prices on their TV ads, finally. Yeah. So pharmaceutical industry, it's huge. We live in big pharma. Medication gets pushed everywhere. You see vitamins, you see prescription pills, it's all going on. So in 2017, big pharma and the pharmaceutical companies generated $934 billion. That's almost a trillion dollars in 2017. In profit. In profit, exactly. And it's still growing. So the next couple of years, it's probably going to be well over a trillion. Yeah, and these drug industries, they spent $5.5 billion in 2017 advertising to us in the United States on TV. Yeah, this industry that's supposed to be here to benefit people is making so much money and a lot of it's unregulated and they're upcharging people on every single prescription that they sell, yeah. especially here in the United States. Like United States, we pay more, we pay more prescription drugs and to the pharmaceutical company compared to any other country in this world. Yeah, even people that come from different countries and like watch TV, one thing that they notice and they mention is how our TV ads look when it comes to seeing pills literally being advertised to us on TV, which doesn't happen in other countries. And a lot of like you know Americans aren't aware of that when you kind of don't travel or have conversations with foreign people. So we have this giant industry that's making so much money off us. And are we healthier with all these pharmaceutical companies in the last few years? Maybe to a certain extent. I mean, they have their benefits, you know, but you can't be dependent on these kind of things. Yeah, and finally Trump in 2019, which is going to take effect in summer of 2019, which probably is going to happen end of July, early something, mid-July. We're going to have the ability to see the prices being displayed, supposedly in in large text, on these commercials. Um, Any product that's going to be $35 in price or more within a 30-day period is going to be, has to be listed. That's insane. That's that's great. That's actually really good because a lot of times we see all these infomercials, these commercials about these medications, and we know what they do. And then at the end, they play some music and they list a bunch of those side effects. And then you while, there, know, while there's happy people in the background, they're talking about fucking death and dying. Exactly. They throw you all these side effects that could, that could happen, and they don't give you a price. They just hey, go talk to your insurance because insurance will cover it. You know, and you are paying for insurance. So that way you're actually paying for the medication itself and you don't even know how much you're in charge. You don't see the, the bill that they provide. You just see the bill from your insurance. You know, they don't list how much you pay per pill or per refill. You either go pay deductible at Walgreens or CVS and then you just get your medication. But you're not sure how much the, you know, the insurance is getting charged. 
Yeah, and these pharmaceutical companies have been running wild, just like the tobacco companies back in the day before we finally put some regulations on them. For years, we've been just letting them run crazy, doing whatever they want, advertising, just pushing pills on everything, taking doctors out to nice outings, buying them dinner, and telling doctors, hey, use our pill to prescribe to patients. Like, that's that's nuts, and it's not regulated, and I'm thankful that finally we're, you know, in this time where people are able to, you know, put say no to that. Yeah, and even in the hospital, when people get charged for the stay in the hospital, they get charged like a bundle package. They mm-hmm. don't say how much a bedpan costs you, how much, you know, a liter of normal saline costs you. They just give you just this bundle, and they generalize how much they think you're going to need, and they kind of just throw it at you. You're not sure how much you're paying, paying for, for each, each thing. Even medication-wise, I'm not even sure how the pharmacy buys medications or how the hospital buys medication from the pharmacy. I'm not sure how they get charged. I have no idea how that works. Yeah, even when you're, for example, drawing a stat lab compared to a timed study compared to a regular lab, the, the patient gets billed differently. So if you're putting in a stat lab just because, that patient is actually being charged more on their bill. A lot of people don't know that. That's why I get upset sometimes and they tell me to run a stat lab when it's not necessary. I'm trying to save the patient some money, you know? Yeah, yeah. and then I guess sort of like we said before, I guess it's like a bundle package and you don't even know. You don't even know what costs what. You just know your hospital costs, your hospital stay costs, you know, $8,000. And you have insurance, so you're going to pay like 500 bucks or, or however when you get charged, but you don't know what costs what. Yeah, I think when I got my appendix taken out, the bill came out to like 50 grand. Yeah. Just to get my little intestine taken out there, which is nuts. And one cool comparison is that I've noticed that doctors are pushing more is Xarelto versus Coumadin. So they're both blood thinners, but once you look at the price difference, it's it's crazy. So Xarelto is around $451 per pill compared to Coumadin, which is $4. And those, these are all both brand names. And doctors are really pushing Xarelto. Even the orthopedic patients, that's what they're getting. They're getting on that blood thinner. Yeah, I've noticed an increase in my hospital too now that I think about it. Since our regular cardiac, you know, we, you know, a lot of AFib, a lot of people have risk for clotting. We push a lot of Coumadin and we give a lot of Coumadin. And what I've noticed, every so often, we have people on Xarelto, and I feel like it's happening more frequently, and this will completely make sense. If Xarelto costs, you know, 100 times more than the Coumadin, and these pharmaceutical companies are pushing Xarelto instead of Coumadin, it serves the same purpose, and it, you know, not about cures, but it treats the same issue, but it costs more. People make more money out of it. You know, I'd be curious to find out how, many, how much it actually costs to make one Xarelto pill, because they're charging, what, $400 for a pill? How much does that cost them to make the pill? Like, what, like $5, if, if that? You know, because once they get this system automated and you know these factories produce these medications, it's not it's probably pennies to the dollar yeah. per pill. But these no. people are upcharging it. I understand they gotta pay for the research and all the time that they've taken, but I think four hundred dollars per pill is a little too much. That's the thing. They don't really care about our health that much and I think it's time to start raising awareness about this and start letting people know that your health is your responsibility and you should be, you know, very mindful of your medication that you take maybe you could you know get off them find out natural remedies or find out what's the real issue you know behind them for example anxiety people are taking xanax which is i don't know how much that costs per pill but why not try other interventions that could possibly you could cope with your anxiety for a lifetime instead of relying on a pill and that's not just putting a band-aid on things you know what's also interesting about the xeralto versus coumadin issue is if you present to the hospital with an elevated inr or um, decreased clotting factors, the Xarelto is irreversible. So you're basically stuck. We can't reverse your clotting factors that, that the Xarelto changes. So if you're bleeding out, guys, 
we can't we have to shrug our shoulders and say well we'll see what happens yeah. compared to coumadin where we could just give you guys some vitamin k and reverse that inr just so your blood blood is more viscous to prevent bleeding if you are yeah so it, it's cheaper it's been out in the market longer so people are more accustomed to using it and we've done more research because obviously Zeralto is going to have a lot less research done on it than Coumadin because yeah. Coumadin's been out of market. I, w- I wonder how years. a doctor decides what to choose. Like, is he like to the patient, okay, these are the two pills, I recommend Zeralto because blah, blah, blah. Or does he say, do you want to get, um, you know, monthly blood draws or every two weeks blood draws? And a lot of people probably get discouraged of blood draws because yeah. that's what Coumadin is. You have to regulate it and they prefer just taking Zeralto. Yeah which is freaking 900x more in money. Yeah, it doesn't require you to do, do any lab testing. I think with recumbent, you got to go every month to get your blood checked every two months, depending how stable your levels are. Zeralto gives the benefit of not needing to take labs. But then obviously we kind of have not as close monitoring. Yeah. And I know Zeralto, um, regarding bleeding, you have a less prevalence of like brain hemorrhages compared to Coumadin, where you have less hemorrhaging in the GI tract. No, so I, maybe that's the way doctors look at it. If you're more at risk for a hemorrhagic stroke, could be compared to like a GI ulcer, they'll probably push on Zeralto compared to, you know, if you're more at risk for GI ulcers compared to brain hemorrhages, they'll probably push on Coumadin. But so, but the price gap is so, is so huge, you know, and you put yourself at risk, risk of bleeding, and it's harder to reverse that. So I think monetary is is a big pusher for Zeralto. Yeah. And like I said, it's easy to match. A lot of loopholes. Your patients don't know how much Zeralto costs. It gets thrown under under the package. So instead of paying $8,000 for your hospital stay, you're paying $8,400 because they added a pill of Zeralto that yeah. you had so on the last day. Hopefully these TV commercials are able to like bring awareness to the patient because back in, I feel like we give so much like power to the doctor and maybe he's not always in our best interest. And now with these TV commercials, a patient will see the prices and he's going to tell the doctor, how about I do a different alternative because of the price? So hopefully that starts happening and people start, you know, kind of waking up more to the giant pharmaceutical scheme that's going on. Right. And it's interesting. You know how they say don't go on WebMD to diagnose yourself? What if they start saying don't look at commercials to, you know, treat yourself with medication? Because now you can have the option to have multiple different kinds of medications that essentially do the same thing. And you're kind of picking, you know, even when I'm sure even when doctors prescribe Pradaxa versus Coumadin, uh, versus Ralto, I'm sure like maybe they asked the patient. I never got uh, prescribed a blood thinner, so I have no idea how this works. But I'm not sure if the doctor gives them options or did he just say, I recommend this and this is what we're going to go with. I don't think you I'm get much sure. options because when I took my parent, my dad, for example, to the you know doctor's office and I asked him, can he get off like metoprol or the statin? By the way, my dad is supposed to take a statin and I threw it to the garbage. He doesn't take a statin. I asked him, can he get off the statin? He said, no, he has to be on it lifelong. Would they give you? Do they give the option for a different kind of statin? Well, I did tell him that his like he has like muscle weakness in his legs because he couldn't climb ladders before mm-hmm. because of like the rhabdo that it could be a side effect from um, statins. They gave him a different like a uh, brand or different you know generic thing from the statin, but it's still the same drug. It still yeah, has the same effects on the liver. Yeah, which, generic is same. essentially the same thing. It's not a different yeah product of a statin, right? No, it's, it's crazy that the doctor's not giving an option to not take the pill. Like, dude, I could do some lifestyle modifications, lower my cholesterol, and have great LDL to HDL ratio, and I don't need the damn pill, and my triglycerides are fine, but yet they're still pushing it because the doctors, I'm sure they're scared too with all these lawsuits and everything that's happening. Yeah, that's crazy. 
You want to jump into the mental aspect of this well, stuff? Let's do it. Yeah. The mind-body connection, guys. I love this stuff, so let's jump into so it. So a Stanford researcher kind of broke down our thinking and thoughts into numbers. So he says we generally have about 60,000 thoughts a day, and 90% of those thoughts are negative thoughts. How original. How unoriginal. Unoriginal. And he says that we're stuck in this repetitive thought process of negativity just because we are m- mentally conditioned to think negatively. Wow. So the more you think negatively, the more likely it is you'll think negatively the next day and the next it's day. It's like so the law of attraction. It is like the law of attraction. You are what you think. You you know? So you basically go into the loopholes with negativity yeah. and it's causing you bad thoughts and research. This is called psychoneuroimmunology which is a study between a connection between our brain, our neurons, and the immune system, we're starting to realize that there's this connection that we thought before was just a theory. So in reality, yes, our mind, our thoughts are directly talking to our body and it's directly impacting our bodies, what this research is saying, right? Yeah, it's very interesting because over time, as we get better at curing disease and treating issues, we discover new ways of treatment, you know? Like imagine before pills, there was herbs. And eventually we found out, hey, we could package these little herbs into little pills and it would get pills instead of yeah, herbs. And now it's synthetic. Now it's synthetic. And now we learn about more about gut health. We explore the brain more. We're able to do gene editing, CRISPRs out there. They could do different types of that. So as we get gain more knowledge about we're, the way we We're going back things, to our roots in a way. Yeah, we're going back into our roots, but then we're also expanding on those roots because once you learn the basics, that opens up complex ideas. So you learn more about these basic issues and basic functions and allows you to kind of think more deeply about it and maybe have more effect on it than, than we think. It's very interesting. So these connections, I'm going to read a little phrase here from this doc, Stanford doctor. These connections between what is going on in your mind and your heart and what is happening in your body form the psycho-emotional roots of health and disease. And if we take a closer look into it, we, we, we are completely bi-directional with our immune system to our brain circuits. So whatever you're feeding your thoughts, or I'm sorry, whatever you're feeding your mind is subconsciously affecting your thought patterns. And if you're in loopholes of negativity, your immune system is reacting to it as if you're fighting off an infection is what the research is saying. So if your body is under stress, it releases... A stress rep- response, like one of them is interleukin-1s, which is causing you wait, your, wait, your body to fight off the infection. And now the scientists are saying, if your thoughts are negative and you're releasing, you're stressed out, whatever the stress is in your life, it could be multiple things, right? That stress mentally is having the same effect as if you have some blood-borne pathogen, an outside critter affecting your body and your body is releasing the stress attack. Yeah, the key thing to get out of here is that our body is bidirectional. So our lymph system, our skeletal system, our muscular system, you know, nervous system, it all communicates together. It's not one thing being the head of everything. You know, the nervous system gets stimulus from your lymph system, your immune your your immune system, and it communicates with the nervous system of what's going on. And then off of that, the nervous system releases certain neurotransmitters which allows other organs to respond to that as well. So they all communicate. They all receive stimulus and responses, and they pass those on to each other. Yeah, and I also like that um, we talked about this before off camera, how you, you know, you, you, what is it called? You put a piece of paper in front of the wall, and then you have a fake hand. How does yeah. that go? I'm sure 
um, you have seen this video multiple times, but they have somebody, somebody sit straight and they have a table in front of them and they have them put their two hands on that table. And they put like a barrier in, be in between. So we kind of have like one eye is looking at one, one hand and the other eye is looking at the other hand. And they make you put one of your hands under the table and put a fake hand there. And they take like a knife or a brick or something heavy and they smash the fake hand. And you automatically have a startle response. You, you know, you jump back. But you know that that hand is fake. But your body is still getting the same stimulus and it still responds in the same way as if you had a perceived threat. Wow. So you'll jump back the same way you'll jump back if you see a tiger right next to you. You know, it's completely different, but it's the same response and it triggers the same exact emotions and the, the exact uh, cascade of, of, you know, the exact same cascade, like stress. Your body doesn't differentiate between the stress you get from running away from a tiger or the stress you get by being negative. Right. And that's that mind-body connection, guys, that your thoughts are directly impacting you just as if it was physically happening. And as we know it, your stress response, that triggers the SNS system, which is the sympathetic nervous system, and it increases the heart rate, increases blood pressure, releases cortisol, you know, stimulates glucose production, fat absorption, and it goes down that whole cascade. And imagine always being stressed and your body's always being triggered by the SNS. Your blood pressure is always elevated. Your heart's always elevated. You know, you're always making glucose and you don't need to do it. You're making glucose because you need energy because you got to run away from the, tar the, yeah. the, the tiger. But you also need glucose because you're mentally like messed up. Like you're thinking negatively about yourself and that's causing your body to stress. Isn't that interesting how we have a look at, um, like we, we as Americans have chronic inflammation that's happening right now, right? And we are saying it's directly linked to food. We're saying sugar, one of the culprits, right, in our food system is causing chronic inflammation. Also, our mind is causing chronic inflammation. So this inflammatory cascade, we're starting to have awareness that it's also our mental thoughts, man. And these loops of negativity for a long period of time is horrible. literally affecting your health. Yeah. We're not saying all stress is bad. We're not saying, hey, sell your house buy a tent and go live with nature your whole life and be stress-free well, give it a happy. try if you want to yeah give it a try and let us know how it goes i mean obviously it didn't work out well if you're coming coming back you know but you know that's not the point we're trying to make we're trying to make the the point that continuous unnecessary stress causes inflammation and causes you to have gi troubles you know anxiety anxiety is a good culprit for like gi issues so all this mental stuff all this negativity is causing you to you know to have immune disorders genetic disorders and it's causing you to, you to get sick. But there's also the good stress where, hey, you have a quiz due tomorrow or you have a quiz tomorrow and you got to study. Now you're stressed because you got to study in the small time crunch. And it's releasing some endorphins and you're more focused and you're getting your... You yeah, know, that kind of stress is good. But the stress we're trying to hit is a is an unnecessary chronic stress over time where you just keep negative, keep thinking negative thoughts and saying, you can't do this, I can do this, I'm a failure. That stress is messing you up physically and mentally. So another way to look at this, why the mind-body connection is an actual real phenomenon, is the impact of vibration. So our thoughts and our emotions like carry a biochemical cellular, oh, I'm sorry. These vibrations are affecting our body on a biochemical, biochemical cellular, and overall a psychological state. Physiological, I'm sorry. So what's happening is we're starting to realize that our emotions are releasing vibrations and our our body in the smallest form is made out of atoms and water, which are in a constant state of uh, emo uh, motions, motion. Jeez. So these types of like frequencies and vibrations that are being released by our emotions are directly impacting and influencing the structure and the function of the cell. So there's, 
And one of them was um, looking at like water molecule. If you have like a negative emotion, the structure of the water is different, more rigid. It's not as smooth and like harmonious. That's those intense results. It is, it is. And let me keep going here. So it's saying that positive, kind, and like inspiring thoughts are like vibrating in harmony with your cells since they share the same frequency that allows them to function optimally. So long story short, positivity, happiness, love, all those good emotions are the same vibrational frequency as the cell that's needed to live normally and function optimally. And that's crazy. If you break it down to like the simplest form, it really makes sense. Like take a human, in human we're made of tissue, we're made of muscles, and we're made of cells. You break those cells down, you have, you know, genetics, break your genetics down, you have like electrons, neutrons, to the yeah. level. It's all, it's all electrical. Yeah, and how do they function? With movement. Right. You know, your electrons and protons circle the neutrons. Yeah. You know, it's all made in motion. So obviously, obviously, our thoughts can be on frequencies and that could trigger different types yeah. of movement, right? And one of them, one of them, one way to look at things is, you know how they say that if you want to be, live a more positive life, you have to surround yourself with positive people. So like if you're surrounded by negative people, chances are you're going to go into the same feedback loop as they are negativity. Same thing with this. If you have, if you're fighting, if you are being a negative person, you think your body's going to work, um, you know, properly and have good outcomes and function. You're not because you're, f- that's counterintuitive. So there's a truck backing up. There's a truck, yeah, there's a truck backing <laughs> up. Good job. Yeah, so what we're saying is, Matt brought up a great point. You know, your surroundings have an impact on your mind and your, your health in general. If you surround yourself with bad people, you're probably going to be a bad person. You know, if you're, all your friends are criminals, you're going to be a criminal. You yeah. are a criminal. And if you want to be healthy and you think you being stuck in negativity and being constantly stressed out is good for your body, then you're going to have a rude awakening. You have to change your thoughts because they're affecting your health. And that's the only solution. You, know, you have bad peers. You're in a bad social situation. You got to get out of there. You got to change it. Yeah, and that's what's hard is a, is a change part. But that's the only way you can make a difference. The only day you're gonna be a different person from from today and tomorrow. And you can't fake positivity. You can't tell yourself, "Oh, my life is great. My life is great." While there's just shit hitting the fan, like there's you have to take direct action and just see how can you make your overall life more optimal and positivity. Maybe you need a little bit of different kind of stress compared to your old chronic stress. What is the, the stress of change? That's a good kind of stress you want. That is true because we love our comfort zone, and yeah. that that's that stress. Take stress that's associated with change over the sh- chronic stress you get from not being su- successful or not doing things you want to do. Yeah. And there's a no- another doctor, Mayor Mayor, and his colleagues, I think from Montreal, Canada. So they they studied animals in the way to see if stress is really affecting our body the same way as our sickness is. So what they did is they took cows. A bunch of tongue twisters today, huh? I know. So they caused stress on animal, unfortunately. One of them was electrical shocking them, and one was um, isolating them socially. Both responses were stress, which caused the release of interleukin-1s and all that stuff that affects like that cascade and the inflammation. So stress is just another form of infection. And whether the stress is something that you're fighting like the flu or the stress is your life and anxiety, you're both getting sick, guys. Hmm. So you, isn't that crazy? Your thoughts are literally making you sick. That's very interesting. Your, your body does not differenti- differentiate between the stress you get mentally from like social anxiety or, or feeling of failure or negativity. It's associated with the same kind of stress response you get from being shocked or being hurt physically. 
Yeah, and look at like depression, for example. We call depression a disease, something that's happening. We can't. Is it a cure? Well, usually the cure is giving people pills. Hey, take like Zoloft, a clinical trial. It's gonna help help reverse the disease possibly. But a pill is not the solution. It's the freaking band aid to your depression, and you're not taking. You're not taking any action towards your depression. You're you're playing a victim role of your depression. And think about what that pill does. You take that pill and it changes your brain chemistry. It changes the neurotransmitters being released, the amount of them. That pill does that. But people are starting to realize and research is starting to show that you can change your brain chemistry and your neurotransmitters just just by, you know, doing it in your mind. Just by changing your thought process and changing how you feel and how you respond to certain situations. You don't need that pill. That poses an easy solution. It is. But the only cure for it is actually subconsciously and consciously being aware of this happening. You know, you're in a bad place. You know, change it. So what you want to do. We like to play a victim too much. Mm-hmm. We yeah. do. And I don't know if it's social media that's causing it or our TV, which is subconsciously maybe programming us a bit. I don't know, man. Right. But we're, we're negative loopholes, man. Yeah, like if, if, social, if social situations give you anxiety... The solution isn't to take a pill. The solution is actually is to go out there and just and, and take don't the, think, yeah. don't don't be anxious about it. You know, don't think negatively of you having a negative interaction. Just go ahead and do it. Just take it how it is. Yeah, it's like going on that first or like let's just say you're scared to ask a girl out, right? Mm-hmm. Talking about some guy stuff, and you just freeze up and you don't do it. Like you have to start taking those gradual steps towards be, being comfortable in what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Like let's just face it, you asking a girl out or getting a number. You're always going to be anxious because that's such a thing, but at least you'll learn how to cope with it more and not freak out to the point where you freeze and don't complete the action and then live in regret of why didn't I do it. Yeah. Stress of the situation, we call that acute stress yeah. compared to the stress associated with your mind and your thought. You know, If you approach a girl and you should up talk to her, that's stressful. Yeah, but that stress is going to last, what, 15, 20 minutes and then you start having a conversation and you realize, hey, she's just just like me, she's just a person, compared to you sitting at the bar thinking of different scenarios that can last hours and hours. And through all those scenarios, all those thoughts, you're getting really stressed. Isn't that interesting how like the first stress response that you feel is adrenaline? So you get that pump in heart rate, that blood pressure, you're getting nervous, but the long-term side effect is getting cortisol released. And cortisol is negatively impacting your body because of these long-term effects and chronic, chronic stress, right? Yeah, like cortisol releases like, like or it starts glycogenesis, which is, you know, creates glucose in your body and your body has to digest it because cortisol is, 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 like you said, it's a stress response. It's associated with SNS. So it's going to focus more on getting past the now. You're not in homeostasis anymore if you're releasing cortisol. Something's triggering you to release different kinds of hormones. Wow. Let's look at different ways as examples how the mind-body connection works. Um, one of them could be very behavioral. And you always hear stories how somebody passed away and then shortly after the partner dies. Like that's very common. It's not a tale. And it's, there's even a study that showed 95,000 people during the first few weeks after the individual that passed away, the mortality was twice as high. Like it's, it's crazy how you get heartbroken to the point that that happens. Or the gut, for example. Now it's well established that there's a strong correlation between our mind and our gut. And it's leading to, like, let's just say if you have a lot of anxiety, it's really reading, um, I'm liking out here, it is correlating with, like, irritable bowel syndrome, which there's no cure for. We're not realizing that, hey, it's that connection. Maybe you just stressed yourself out. 
you know. Also, going back to the behavioral portion, if you think if you think about it or what I think about it, it's like you physically lose somebody. That's hard. They're physically gone. But they're also gone mentally. Yeah. Like, they're not there to stimulate you mentally. You have memories. There's nothing new. They're not there anymore. And people go into that dark path of, you know, depression. It's of, like grieving. Of, it's a grieving, yeah, of being sad because not only is that person not physically here and you can't stimulate you physically, you can't stimulate you mentally. And, you know, if you keep circling that around, he's not here, I can't do this without him or I can't do this without her, you know, you're going to be stuck. You're going to get sick easily. You're, you're, gonna, you're trying to really yeah. relive moments. Exactly. And you're going to be stressed out more. It's a different kind of stress, but produces the same kind of result. Yeah. You know, your bone density drops, you're more frail, you're weaker, you're losing weight. You get Graves' disease. Graves' disease has, has been found to have a mental aspect as well. Yeah. Like if you're always stressed out, always anxious, you're receiving all those, all those hormones and different neurotransmitters. And that tends to cause Graves' disease, where your body's always, you know, uh, what is it? I'm not sure, I forgot what. Um, gravis? No, no. I forgot what, what gland gets affected by uh, Graves' disease. Com- I'm not com- about to look com- that up right now, guys. Completely blanked out. But yeah, so during a stress, that gland is also being stimulated. That's how people develop Graves' disease because they're, they've been in the beginning stages of Graves' disease their whole life because they're always jacked up, you know, they're yep. always ready to go anxious and stimulates that. That same plan. Yeah, even as a healthcare provider, nurses, anyone that works in healthcare, you know that cancer outcomes greatly get impacted by the support that the patient has and the, and their mindset, and that's the outcome of the disease. Like if you're gonna be like, oh my god, I'm not gonna be healthy. This is gonna happen. Like your your body is listening to your mind. Like you're literally telling your body what to do. Think about it like a sep- you like your mind. Is, a, is separate from your body and your body is this living organism and it's literally taking directions from the mind and if you're feeding yourself negativity saying to yourself you're not going to do it how is your body supposed to fight off that cancer if you're not there with it fighting it i've never heard somebody negatively say hey i'd be cancer no no one's like ah oh, damn i'd be cancer no. and it's also messed up because the doctor tells you yeah, we have to start chemo. You have six months to live. Man, like imagine hearing that. Like what's going on in your head? Like you might just completely crash. Oh, they for sure crash. But like the thing with that is when you crash, you, you're going to be on the bottom for quite a long time. But the thing is you got to pick yourself up. Yeah. Like I said, no one was ever upset because they got through cancer. No, everyone's always happy. They always tell you, hey, yeah, I, I beat cancer four years ago. And partially or part of them beating it is because of mental aspect. Because they wanted to beat it. They were in good spirits, even though they had those shitty days where things were doing, going so good, and they had that one step back. And if you take that one step back, it's okay. You know, you can still take those two steps forward. And it's just same. It's a mental battle, just as it is a physical battle, just as it is a cellular battle. You but, might, you might but, play, you might play tricks on you, and your mind is one of the keys to get through things. But explain that to a patient that's not aware, that's mentally so zoned in and narrow-minded at the moment with hearing his diagnosis, how is he supposed to do this, you know? It's hard. It, it's, it's rough. That's why you learn through, through your own mind. I can't make you a positive person. I can tell you ways to try and be positive, but it's essentially it's up to you to be positive. Because I, I'm not, I can't go in your mind and change shit up. You got to change it yourself. One day. Maybe one day. Or maybe we're already plugged in somewhere. This is a virtual reality. Is this the Matrix? But enter a portal. No, but you never know. Like, I can't go in someone's mind and physically change those thoughts. I'm not going to be like, hey, I'm taking this thought and I'll replace with this thought. No, it's your job to do that. Yeah, but that's why there's those, like, let's just say some people going under hypnosis mm-hmm. and they try to, like, reprogram their subconscious. That's interesting. 
I have done that before too. I've, um, for example, sometimes I'm, I feel like I'm very sensitive or sometimes I've learned to cope with it. Maybe it's the soy. It's the soy that I'm drinking. But sometimes I've learned that I take things too personally and I should let that go. And there was this awesome doctor that was, um, that basically you put on this YouTube video, you go to sleep. And the video goes like you're building this energy shield around yourself to be, to take in more shit and not take it personally. And I don't know, maybe it worked, but it's pretty cool because I'm doing this when I'm sleeping and somehow my subconscious is just picking this information up and I wake up and I'm different technically. Yeah. I know Mike Tyson's original trainer, his first trainer and coach actually took him to a hypnosis and he actually had the hypnosis hypnotize him into thinking that he's the best in the world. You know, it's pretty crazy. This is before the fights or this is before he started fighting? This, this is during training. This is during training. During all, the, all these fights when he first started training. It's from like the beginning to the end. He's not the best role model, but he's a damn good fighter. But he basically, he was a winner before he stepped into the ring. But he said that he won the fight before he stepped into the ring. Okay. So it's, he had a huge mental game over anybody else. And his trainer and coach literally woke him up in the middle of the night just to go over what he learned that day. Just to put positive thoughts in his head. His coach made him repeat and say that he is the best in the world millions and millions of times. Wow. And it's a huge mental aspect. Because there were fighters that were bigger than stronger than Mike. Like, I talked to Mike as my buddy. You know, there were fighters that were strong and bigger, but how did he beat him then? You know, he fought quicker fighters. But it's, it's a mental thing that you get past. It's also, it's interesting how you say that. So same thing with like, for example, someone that struggles with confidence you can see it in their body language. Your the body like body language is directly showing you how that person is thinking mentally, right? If you're confident, you're the one that has broad shoulders. You know, you get you have that walk, you have that look compared to somebody that's like anxious about a situation or doesn't have confidence. Their chest is down, shoulders are tr- shrugging, chin is down a little bit. It's crazy how that works. Yeah, like you said before, many times it's bi-directional, right? Is that what you called it? Bi-directional. 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 Everything affects everything. You know, every hormone, you know, I don't know about every drop of blood, but every organ is going to affect every kind of organ. And it's going to affect every system. We tend to see the physical systems and the physiological physiological symptoms, but we tend to neglect and negate the mental aspects of it. Yeah, just like broken heart syndrome, which I've when I first seen it, I was so mind blown by it because when you take an X-ray of this heart after somebody like basically your significant other passes away, and under all that stress that you're under and everything that's happening because you're so devastated by the event, your heart and the stress on your heart because of the the stimulus is literally shaping the heart in a different form and we call it the it was a special word like the octopus right uh, broken heart syndrome has a name it does i'm not sure what the name was but man to look it up real quick but on one side i got, you got it it's called sure. um taco takasubo cardiomyopathy which is basically a, a device that catches octopuses they're able to enter it but they can't escape the device and that's how they catch them in the wild. Yeah. So broken heart syndrome is literally the heart is shaped the same way as the device that catches a squid. Wow. That's crazy. If you guys look up this image, how, how do you look this image up? It's on Google? Just type in broken heart syndrome. Oh, broken yeah. heart syndrome. Oh, wow. That's interesting. The shape of the heart is changing based on stress, guys. Yeah. The heart looks bigger, different shape. Yeah, it's something. And it looks like it has a head and then a very, uh, very small um, atrium mm-hmm. and large ventricles. Hmm. I wonder why. And you could die from this. Oh, maybe. You know why? 
because this is related to a stress response, correct? Yes. So if your heart's always pumping, your ventricles are the ones pumping the blood. The blood doesn't stay as long in the atrium, so that's why it's not as big, because it doesn't it doesn't need to hold as much blood in the atrium because your blood gets pushed so fast to your ventricles. So you don't need bigger atriums; you need bigger ventricles for more pumping power. And smaller size for atriums because the water or the blood just goes through it yeah. instead of pulling in there. Write that down, dude. I think we just figured this out, guys. Boy, there's no cure for it other than no. your own mental game, guys. Yeah. yeah. Another cool study that I found, was this a study that they did? Oh, yeah, it was a study, right? Yeah, another study that I found that's related to immune response is it tested people's or it checked for people's T cells, which is part of your immune system. And this was a study done on students, on medical students. I think it was like 80 of them or 40 of them or something in the 49 males and 26 females. So they checked their blood for T cells a few months prior to the exam. And then they took a blood sample from them actually in the exam. Wow. And they compared their blood just for T cells. They had more T cells when they were studying before the exam compared to the T cells that they had during the exam. So your immune system weakened yes. during so the test. Because you were stressed during your test, you were able to make less T cells compared to be three months before where you're just kind of hanging out. Yeah. Your we immune we should make a study to see how often nursing students get sick compared to being out of nursing school. Hmm. Do a longevity study of like yeah. five years. From birth, right? <laughs> so yeah, so we're going to bring our results back in about 40 years. We'll be about 65. So if you guys are still tuning into our podcast, we're probably going to be in Mars talking about humans and stress from birth to age of 40. Yeah, I think by then there's going to be so much technology advances that we're not even going to have to worry about this. Yeah, it's because we're going to make them. <laughs> there you go. It's one way to do things. So, yeah, it's not just an interesting study. So, you know, it drops t- stress drops your T-cells, makes you more susceptible to infection. And imagine if you're stressed for exam and you get a flu shot. You're probably going to have those flu symptoms, man. That, I oh. think that's why you get sick like mm-hmm. that. I've, that happened to me before. I know when I was in nursing school and I got my flu shot during like exam week and I was like sick for the next like two weeks. No, I was literally sick with flu symptoms. Yeah, that's crazy because I know for certain vaccines they don't inject the actual flu into you; they inject um, a virus. The, virus, that's yeah, inti- inactive in a way. Yeah, inactive virus, exactly. So you kind of, but it still produces the same reaction. Right. So the virus itself and a copy that we made of the virus causes the same reaction: stuffy nose, headache, all all that. That's crazy. You know. A fake virus and actual virus do the same thing. It makes you think. Wow. And then you develop antibodies, and that's why we get vaccinated for, like, MMR and things like that because we have to, we need a constant, like, reminder for our immune system that, hey, this is still a threat. Make some antibodies. Yeah, just in case. Carry that around and neutralize the threat when it comes. Yeah, that's, that's actually, wow. Yeah. Learning a lot here talking to you, Matthew. And it's, it's been a great time, guys. So wow. whoever uh, listened to us this long, thank you for tuning in, guys. We talked about the awesome awakening of pharmaceutical companies where we are finally going to see ad prices. Hopefully we as humans are being coming awake to that and look back into our bodies, our mental states, which is directly affecting our immune system and our health guys. Yeah. We might have that point in time in which instead of we going to the doctor to see what he's going to prescribe us, it might be us going to the doctor because we think we need this, which is going to be very interesting. Like, hey, I saw this information about this, about this drug. I feel like I'm a benefit. So the doctor is literally begin, be going to become like this little script person where Maybe. you tell him what you want, and then he writes it out mm-hmm. for you. Mm-hmm. You tell him what you want, and he sees if it's worth it, and then he'll give it to you. Interesting. Business, healthcare, all ties together. Exactly. Just like our, our different kind of arts of 
different kinds of body systems all tied together. Same with the economic system. Into one unity, the mind, the body connection. 369. 369. (laughs) Guys, take care and have a great week, okay? Keep it smooth, Oakland.